0: We are in Hebrews chapter 11 today in our Pay Attention series, a study in the letter to the Hebrews. So take your Bible, your copy of scripture there in front of you and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue in our study of this letter to the Hebrews. You may not know the name Eliud Kipchoge, but if you were a runner, you almost certainly would. In October of last year, Elliot Kipchoge became the first man in history to run a marathon in under two hours. It was an exhibition really, not a competition against other marathon runners. The whole thing was sponsored and set up just to accomplish this one feat, to have a man run an entire marathon in under two hours, something that had never been done before. In fact, it was not until the 1990s or so that it was even considered humanly possible that someone could run a marathon in under two hours. It was assumed to be beyond human capabilities, beyond the realm of human strength, to run that fast for that distance. The pace that would be required for Kipchoge to run a marathon in under two hours would feel like a a dead-on sprint For the average person. In fact, they set up a treadmill at the event and had onlookers attempt to keep up on the treadmill as long as they could. Most of them couldn't even make it 30 seconds or a minute, and Kipchoge was going to do it for two hours. It was on the streets of Vienna, Austria. They had set up a course just around sea level, nice and flat, waited for just the right weather conditions, the perfect day for him to do it. And as he came to the final stretch, having all along been tracked on a clock that was keeping his pace to see if he would make it, the announcer starts telling the story. He's sprinting into the history books, he said. This is history unfolding on the streets of Vienna, a Saturday run like we've never seen before. Neil Armstrong we had on the moon in 1969. We had Roger Bannister, a four minute mile 65 years ago. Edmund Hillary, the first man to climb Everest in 1953, and we have one minute to go, and Eliud Kipchoge is on his way. As Kipchoge came down the home stretch, the announcer continued to describe the feat that we were watching. Tell us about the person accomplishing it. This humble farmer used to run two miles to go to school every day and back. He went to the nearest town on his bike to sell milk at the local market, and now, through hard work and discipline, Eliud Kipchoge has the hand of history on his shoulder. And sure enough, that final stretch, Kipchoge breaks free, starts pointing at the crowd, raising his hands in celebration. He can see the clock. He can see that he's going to accomplish what has never been done before. The announcer keeps narrating the event. Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. 1, 40. The first man to run a marathon in under two hours. And then to finish it up, He pulls this line out of his bag. Oh man, he must have been practicing this one for weeks, getting ready to announce this record-breaking attempt. One final lung-busting stride for Kipchoge, one giant leap for human endeavor. No human is limited, he said. It was a marvelous event, a miraculous undertaking, such an expression of human determination and perseverance. Maybe a little bit overblown, maybe not quite as memorable as landing on the moon. And certainly I'd have to beg to differ about what human limitations are, but nonetheless, it was a run like no run before. But you know, just by hearing me tell the story, you're missing a few crucial details. First of all, the running community didn't really consider it a marathon of sorts. You see, to be a marathon, you have to compete against other runners and it'd be an open event to have an official record for them. The Guinness Book of World Records would recognize it, but not the running community. It was an exhibition. The other things you can't see are the runners that ran with him. In front of him ran a flying v of windbreakers, pace setters that would help him keep the pace all along the way. Behind him, several runners, one on each side, just a step behind him on the left and a step behind him on the right. He ran the whole marathon surrounded by a team of people to make sure he ran the race the right way. In fact, his own pacemakers couldn't keep his pace the whole way. How could they? There were 41 of them that took turns in teams setting the pace along the course. Not only that, but the whole team was guided by an electric car that drove in front of them with contraptions up on top, both to film him, but also to project a green laser right in front of the feet of each runner, moving at the pace required to beat the two-hour mark. As we come to Hebrews chapter 11, we're reaching a point in the narrative where the writer is going to look back over all of history and begins to remind us of the many stories of God's faithful people throughout history. We hear about Abraham and Noah, about Rahab and Moses, and all of these people of faith in what is often called the Hall of Faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. And the whole passage builds up to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where the writer of Hebrews likens following Christ to a race. Therefore, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. All throughout chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear, there are some seriously impressive competitors who have run this race of life before you. And like you, they faced difficult times, and many of them had much more difficult times than you have. Look at the stories, read what they faced, but what they share in common, what holds true as you examine each of them, is that they pressed on in faith. And from the witness that is so thick that it now surrounds you like a cloud, the writer says, I want to encourage you to do the same, to run this race. Like Eliud Kipchoge, surrounded by pace setters, a flying V in front, and friends on left and right, the biblical cloud of witnesses surround you and point you in the direction. Set the pace for what life and following God looks like, what faithfulness to God's law and covenant ought to be and they show you the way so when it becomes difficult look to their example when it becomes challenging listen to what they're saying when the pace seems hard to keep up remember that so many others have run the race before you human beings are limited our limits are obvious we come to the end of our rope all the time and so the writer of Hebrews 11 knows that we're going to need somewhere to look to give us hope as we reach for faith. And hope and faith have been connected, intertwined all throughout Scripture, but especially here in Hebrews. Faith and hope. That's why moving from those first couple verses of chapter 12 back to chapter 11, it says in 11.1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not See, You see, when we begin moving in the direction that God is calling us and leading us, when we point our lives in the direction of Jesus, we find ourselves trudging along a road that has been traveled by so many before. Sometimes in our most challenging moments, we forget that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and listen to what they were commended for. By faith, in chapter 11, verse 3, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And so by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham went where God called him. All these people it says in verse 13, "We're still living by faith when they died. They had persevered to the end." What we see when we get to chapter 12 having read this great testimony of faith in chapter 11 is that there are really three things that we must do in our Christian walk, three encouragements for us in our journey with Christ. That we have to lay aside every weight of in the sin that so clings to us. We have to persevere because the race set before us is a long one, and we have to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, just as each of these others had done. I like to exercise, but I wouldn't consider myself a runner by any measure, but I have found at times that it's helpful to keep myself in shape and a useful tool, and In fact, during my seminary years in Waco, I occasionally found the time to drive over to the Lake Waco Dam and go for a run on the hike and bike trail there. Now geographically, it's not necessarily an ideal place to run. It does have one major thing going for it, it's flat, but other than that, it really doesn't seem all that appealing at first glance. In fact, there are more than a few places around to run that are less exposed to the elements and have more to look at. Whether it be wind or heat or cold, there's simply no hiding as you run across the top of this levee. It's open and vulnerable and susceptible to to whatever the conditions of the day brings. The scenery is pretty much the same the whole run. You've got a lake to look at and a sun beating down on you, but that's about it. There isn't going to be much change or turns or anything particularly interesting to distract you from what's going on. It's about a mile and a half on the Lake Waco Hike and Bike Trail from the trailhead on the lakeshore drive to the actual channel locks that control the water flow out of the lake and into the flowing rivers. I didn't have much problem keeping a good pace and jogging out to there. I enjoyed that. The breeze usually seemed friendly and, and the distance was something that went by somewhat quickly and it was a fairly straight shot. The going was easy the first half. Somehow, when you turn around, it seems like the wind was always at your back on the first half, and suddenly, it's in your face. And so naturally, you have to find somewhere to focus to finish out the second half of the run, back against the wind, still in the elements, got to get to the car, something to keep you moving and motivated, something more than just the music that was in my ears. And So I started a habit. You see, all along the levee, there are these lamp posts. They're the size of street lamps, and are dispersed about, I don't know, every 60 yards along the levee trail. The lake is nice to look at for the first half, but the run back needs something else, and so one day I decided to count the lamp posts from the channel locks back to the trailhead. I had no idea how many there were. You can see a long way down the levee, but it's actually quite deceiving when you can see that far in an open area. Things can appear a lot closer than they really are on such a flat, open surface. If you had asked me before, I would have guessed maybe 20 or 25 lampposts. But nonetheless, I started running down that second half. And I realized really quickly it's going to be hard to keep track of the number I was on, so I just started saying it every step, every footstep along the way. One, one, one for a while. And when it got to the next lamp, two, 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 making my way through the run. I quickly realized there's going to be a lot more lampposts than I anticipated. I got a quarter, halfway, two-thirds down the track. I could see the next several, but beyond that, the rest of them were out of sight. It was easy to get caught up in looking ahead. I mean, how many are there total? How many are left? Am I halfway there? Am I almost there? The point is this. There was only one thing I could do to find out. Keep running. Keep counting. Keep reciting the number of the step that I was on at each step I took. If I looked too far ahead for too long, I'd start moving to the next number before I actually got there. And there's no use in looking back to try and count where I'd been. All I could do to get where I was headed was to focus on where I was. 23, 23, 23, 24, 24, 24. And the writer of Hebrews as he's likening following Christ to a race, has in mind that we need to run with perseverance by setting our eyes ahead, by looking to Jesus and just trusting him to lead us in the next step. We don't have to look so far ahead that we know the whole path before us. We simply have to know that the author and perfecter of our faith is the one who's running beside us, that the one who sets the pace for us is Jesus himself, the perfect human. Sometimes in our lives it can seem like there's not much impressive to the average eye about the race we're running. It's exposed to the elements, maybe more than other places you might run. Maybe the view is getting boring, or the wind has changed directions, or the rain has come in, or heat, or cold. The scriptures even suggest that this road that we're on will have more trouble, more struggle than others because we follow Jesus. You know, the image of a cloud is not unique to this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 it was a cloud that led the Israelites in the wilderness and yet Hebrews suggests that this cloud of witnesses in chapter 11 has grown so big now that it's not just before you or behind you it surrounds you and I think it's true that when we pay attention to the countless faithful ones who have endured before us our vision of negative or discouraging things starts to get blocked out and if we let it This cloud can surround us and and remind us of the whole point of today and tomorrow's faithfulness and point us forward in the direction God has called us. That's why faith and hope work together so well. There are moments in Scripture when the verses sound like a competitor with a vengeance, but happily, there are also moments like this where the Bible tells us to run with perseverance, the race set before us, where the object is not just to get there first, Frederick Buechner points out, and to win the race against all others, but to simply fight the good fight, like 1 Timothy 6 says. And it's not about the fight to overcome the best competition, but the fight to overcome the worst in ourselves. You know, there are some races that are really impressive to win, that someone would run just to accomplish the victory against other people, But you know, there are also some races that are just impressive to finish. Have you ever noticed that marathon runners love to put that little number on the back of their car or that bumper sticker somewhere, 26.2? That's because just finishing a run like that is an accomplishment. And to do it in record pace, amazing. The race of a life chasing after Jesus is about seeing it through to the end persevering in the day after day obedience. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to go where this hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 has gone, we're going to need to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. I told you I'd never been a runner, but I have been on the track team. It was some high school coach that managed to talk me into being a part of the track and field team. Started in middle school. I didn't run a race, but I threw the discus. That was my contribution to the team. Somewhere along the way, some coaches thought it must be a good idea. Maybe it was just something funny to laugh at. But they invented, in middle school track meets, what was called at the time the Big Man Relay. The idea was that they would get all these big guys who threw the shot put in the discus and make them all race against each other. See whose team had the fastest big guys. Now, I was probably somewhere in between. I wasn't one of the huge shot put throwers. Discus takes a little more grace than that. And I certainly was no sprinter, but I managed to sneak my way onto the big man relay. Now, the, the catch was that the baton for this 100 by four relay race was an old tire. That's right, a big black rubber tire was given to each person in the starting lanes. And the first runner would run 100 yards with the tire and hand it off to the next guy who'd run 100 yards with a giant tire. Our team was doing well. We had made it around the first three stretches of the race, right and neck and neck with the best team. And coming down the home stretch, wouldn't you know it, one of the runners of our competitors decides to throw the tire off from around his shoulders and sprint to the finish to make sure his team wins. I think he must have missed the point of the big man relay that if you don't carry the weight, you can't win the race. But the writer of Hebrews would commend that idea, that whatever it is that entangles us, whatever weight we're carrying that slows us down from following Jesus. Whatever sin or baggage we have placed in our lives to prevent us from moving where he's calling us to move and running at the pace he sets before us, we have to throw it off. Get rid of the sin and every weight that clings so closely. None of it can come with you. And knowing that this road is long and treacherous, the writer pleads with us to get rid of these things that will only make the race a more challenging one to run. The idea is to finish, and to finish faithfully, not to race against the others. The weights that hold us down and the sins that are so sure to tangle up our feet are to be cast aside as the follower of Jesus presses along the race set before us. After he's told us to throw off and to lay aside every weight, we're told to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. You know, Eugene Peterson calls the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. It's this long obedience, this long perseverance, he says, that has always resulted in a life worth living. Eliud Kipchoge was able to persevere, able to run a record-setting pace in a marathon because he had a cloud around him and a pace set before him. We too have a cloud of witnesses around us. United through time and space by God's Spirit, we are surrounded by believers from past and present who go with us. And even more than that, like the laser beam projected from the car in front of these runners, we have an author and perfecter who shows us what the pace of life, what the way of life for us ought to be. Jesus himself. And that's why the third thing that the writer to Hebrews suggests in the beginning of chapter 12 that we ought to do is to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What we know from these verses is that the life of faith is all about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, of paying attention to who he is to what he's doing, to where he's going, to the life he's calling us to. And if anything about my life doesn't match up with the pace and the way that he's called me to go, it has to be left behind. He is the one who authors our path. He is the one who has pioneered this way. And so we run the race knowing the end result, even if we can't see the next step. I can't see where the next lamppost is or how far along the path I am, or how many markers are left to count. There are a lot of other ways that my story or your story could have gone. And Jesus says those those ways that the path that leads to destruction, it's broad and many enter through it. And some of them are paths that are a lot less exposed to the elements, much less vulnerable, a lot less susceptible to whatever the day might bring. I'm sure there are directions that you could go which could be reached or arrived at by paths that are much less taxing. I mean, after all, there's nothing like a cyclist zooming by you on the hiking trail to make you realize that there is a less painful way to make it a mile, to make you rethink your efficiency, to wonder what you're doing after all, running one step at a time and counting lampposts. But the way of Jesus was never promised to be the most efficient race. And I can't promise the pace will always be perfectly steady or that you won't fall along the way. I don't even know if or when a second wind might come for you or whether or not the weather will remain the same the whole time. What I do know is that this is the race that you were made for. What I do know is that we do not run as those who have no hope. And when our struggles seem like they've started to add up or the cost doesn't seem worth it, we look to Jesus and we realize that he has not only pioneered the path, but he did so at a much greater cost than we could possibly pay. And he has done so, so that we could live in his life too, now and in eternity with him the moment that Elliot Kipchoge crossed the finish line and broke the two-hour barrier for a marathon. Every runner in the world changed what they thought was possible. Sure, it had been academically suggested in the 1990s that maybe a human could run a marathon that fast, but nobody had ever done it. Hebrews 11 lays out in front of us the reality that others have gone before us and accomplished what the Bible calls us to do. That others have lived by faith and persevered even unto death. That others have gone the moment God said go. They have built when God said build. They have given testimony when God said to preach. They have given witness when God said to watch. And we too can look to them and to look to Jesus to know that the race we're running has been run before and we can live with hope because we know the ending we know the finish line we know that all things will be set right in christ and that he himself has promised to make a way for us to finish and that he goes with us and he gives us his power all of these things remind us that when we reach the finish line we won't need to say human beings have no limit we'll be able to look to our left and our right and say it was olympic champions who led the way for me. It was Bible heroes who showed me it was possible. It was friends in Christ and my church family that carried me when I couldn't keep going. It was Jesus himself who set the pace for my life, who gave me a pattern, an example, as I chased after him. So let us throw off every weight that weighs us down the things of this world that have no place in this life. And let us run the long obedience of perseverance to Jesus by looking to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Join with me as we pray. Father, we pray that you would give us a spirit of perseverance as we long to live this life in obedience and faith. We pray that you would fill us with hope, as we live not as those who don't know the ending or where the path is going, but as those who do know where you have called us and what awaits those whose faith is in you. Father, we pray that the hope of your new creation would lead us on to imagine and to bring that kingdom to come now on earth as it is in heaven. Give us new wind in our lungs, new breath for the journey, a new spirit to carry us on in new and fresh ways in these days so that we might be the people of God in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.